Hi everyone, welcome to Purely IFS. This is a podcast aimed mainly at psychotherapists and practitioners who are transitioning to using internal family systems as their primary approach with clients. My name is Gail Williamson and I'm an IFS psychotherapist based in Dublin, Ireland. I also run supervision groups and small group online trainings for beginners in IFS. And I'm Emma Redfern, a Level 3 Certified IFS Therapist, Approved Clinical Consultant, IFS Author and Editor, and I'm fortunate to be based in Devon in the southwest of England. Yes, a very nice part of the world, isn't it, Emma? As is yours, I'm sure. <laughs> and Gail and I thought there was a gap in terms of resources like this for a podcast that is unapologetically purely IFS. In other words, that doesn't incorporate any other approach. Yeah, and also we thought that a podcast voiced by two colleagues from England and Ireland might be welcome, and we wanted to make it kind of a conversational style. And for this, our first episode, we're going to talk more about why we wanted to do this podcast, introduce some of the things we'll be discussing over the coming months, and explore what we mean when we say IFS is a complete model. So Gail, do you want to go first? Well, I I guess regarding why we wanted to do this podcast, um, I felt for a long time that there's a lot of mixed messaging around about using IFS, where on the one hand, you're told that IFS is a complete model and that it's non-pathologizing. And then on the other, we're seeing many senior IFS figures integrating the model with EMDR, sensory motor psychotherapy, polyvagal theory, and with the medical model, something I have a particular issue with since one of the key foundational principles of IFS, as I know it, is its non-pathologizing ethos. There are so many trainings out there mixing models of trauma, and of course many of us are trained as integrative therapists. That's the norm. And possibly that's because previously no one theory of the psyche was enough. In my first few years as a therapist, I don't know about you, Emma, but I can recall learning about this theory, that approach, searching always for something that would be the answer, the solution. I think essentially I didn't feel fully equipped, didn't feel I was as effective as a therapist as I, I wanted to be. Um, and also often felt that same kind of pressure coming from clients, that what therapy offered wasn't enough. So I think as a profession, we have integrated lots of things in a bit to be more effective and to feel more effective. Sure. But then we both came across Richard Schwartz's brilliant model, IFS. Yes. <laughs> and it has just about everything you'd ever need as a therapist. So with this podcast, we'd really like to support those transitioning to using IFS professionally uh, with all our discussions about the different aspects of the model, the key skills like parts detecting, self-detecting, insight, implicit and explicit direct access, polarizations, working with exiles, as well as common stop points and how parts affect the body, which is something Gail is particularly interested in. And we're hoping that you'll get more clarity on using the model gain more useful additions to your IFS vocabulary and that it will help keep you engaged with learning this amazing approach because it is necessary if you want to master it 
to put a lot of ongoing attention into learning the model, reflecting on what you're doing, working with your own system and so on. So Gail, why do we say IFS is a complete model? Well, I think it's not just because it equips you with almost all that you need in the therapy room or that it equips you to work with any client, but because IFS isn't a theory. And I think that's something that many people don't really grasp in the beginning. But it's actually a very clear map of how we are as human beings and it's easily verifiable as such. And because of that, it's not just something that happens in the therapy setting between client and therapist. We bring the model into supervision too. And I don't think it could be considered a complete model unless we were also working in supervision and in our lives too. Yes. I also think of it as a complete model that exists within or inside us the IFS trained therapist or practitioner, to the extent of our ability and understanding. IFS professionals often say something to me like, I can't help but think in terms of parts now. It's become integral to who yeah. they are sure. and how they are. So IFS, IFS exists in the professional's chair, the therapist's chair, even if that therapist or practitioner never uses the word part or self with their clients. It might be that the IFS professionals working inside with their own parts so that they can be more fully present and compassionate towards the person they're with. That's not necessarily using the whole of the model and it's still valuable and transformative. So although it is a complete model, it isn't necessarily used in its entirety in every relationship or in every session or meeting. For example, in the multi-author book Freeing Self, there's a chapter by Ruth Troughton, a mental health physiotherapist, and she gives some wonderful examples of turnarounds or transformations in her patients, her clients, from working at the protector level and releasing the protector's effects on the body. Yeah, and I think for me, we also say IFS is a complete model because it can be applied across multiple different systems. So from the individual, to the couple, to the family, to the society, to the country, and to inherited historical trauma, where I think all can be understood through the IFS lens. Also, I think IFS, it's a life practice um, where we can view events in the world through the lens of art. But it has to be said, it's not always easy having that clarity the IFS model gives you, where you become acutely aware of the lack of self-led leaders out there and the polarizations and extreme parts driving poor policy decisions or conflicts around the world. Yeah, I hear you go. And yes, saying IFS is a complete model is not to say that it's easy. No, that's for no. sure. So what would we say is the benefit, benefit of thinking of and knowing that IFS is a complete model? 
Well, for me, if I know that IFS is a complete model, or I focus on learning it as if it's a complete model, then I can just focus on mastering it instead of being a jack of all trades or approaches. Where in the past, I can easily recall sitting with really overwhelmed clients, desperately searching my brain for any intervention that might be useful, any anything that might make a difference. Knowing maybe a little about various theories didn't make me a better therapist. But mastering IFS gives you the confidence you can be effective with any client because there is always a part that I can work with and a clearly defined set of skills and math that equip you to work with all the parts. Yeah, that that makes much sense, Gail. Personally, my system likes to think of IFS as a complete model and trusting that self inside me and inside the client has, it, you know, in quotes, the answers, because that saves me chasing after every piece of training I can lay my hands on. Yeah. At discount, obviously, or reading every book that's ever published. Um, not that I don't like doing CPD and reading books. I mean, I do. Sure. Um, but I want to do that from choice, enjoyment, or for the stimulation, not out of desperation and grasping, um, like you were talking about, because I don't feel I know enough or my parts feel lacking in some way. Um, so self as a resource is part of that completeness of IFS. Yeah, I really like how you put that in. Thank you, yes. Um, and so when we say that self is part of the completeness of IFS, that isn't to imply that it's all the professional needs. I'm reminded that IFS training is postgraduate training. So each of us, whether a therapist or a practitioner, would already have learned many helpful skills, hopefully, about co-creating a therapeutic relationship, holding context-specific boundaries, ethical practice, working with and valuing difference, attunement, and so on. Saying IFS is a complete model, and for example, that I specialise in IFS supervision, doesn't mean that I expect a person to become a tabula rasa or wipe clean what's gone before. Mm. Yeah, I write about this in my book a bit. Well, Transition to IFS Therapy is about how novice or young IFS professionals can both embrace all that IFS has to offer and consider what their existing trainings offer or what their prior or initial trainings bring in terms of concepts and practices, which might need to be jettisoned to make way for IFS or what prior learning and practices could complement or even be completed by embracing IFS. But for example, if someone has parts strongly enamoured of a counteractive or diagnostic approach, then the parts might struggle to fully buy into IFS, or may not even have learnt IFS for its own sake, but rather as a way to make their current modality work better or be more effective. Um, and this is not what you and I are talking about here and encouraging the listener to consider. Yeah. And, and maybe just to go back to what you were saying, Emma, about working at the level of protectors. You know, I have a few clients currently who, even though we've been working together for two or three years, we've only ever worked with our protectors. And I say only, but actually the work has been huge. For many who have complex trauma, there are often intricate networks of protectors 
that helping my clients develop relationships with them has made such a big difference because there are, these are the parts that are running our clients' everyday lives and in some cases causing a lot of havoc. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking of hypervigilant um, protectors that cause a near constant state of fear in some people. Um, or maybe the firefighters who drive a lot of time-wasting distraction and clients then struggle to meet commitments they have. Um, or the relentless critic um, who fills the person with shame may often make them feel so bad that they just retreat from the world. So helping clients differentiate parts like these from self and helping them develop a relationship with them is incredibly valuable. Yes, absolutely. Um, I'm thinking of one client I work with who requested IFS, um, and she that well, they came with a time-sensitive issue to focus on, and we did this using IFS, and um, the client had a lot of therapy experience. So I might describe them as a sophisticated client. Mm -hmm. uh, we only ever worked in session together at the level of protectors. They had less than 20 sessions and they got where they needed to get to in the external world uh, with that time-sensitive issue. And we didn't use the complete model, i.e. all the steps of healing. Um, but I still held it as a complete model. Um, and, and that seems important. Um, and as part of that, understanding the complete model I think it's also helpful for IFS professionals to really get clear on what's part of the complete IFS model and what isn't necessarily part of the complete IFS model. Yeah, and you know, I think your first two IFS books, which listeners can find details of in your bio, um, they really help with this, Emma. Yeah, great, great. I hope so. Um, and I'll just give an, an example here. Um, so although IFS trainings always feature wonderful meditations, these are not per se part of the complete model of IFS. Um, I understand them as helpful interventions to create a safe enough learning environment and provide another way for participants to get to know their parts, begin to create self-to-part relationships inside. And they're not compulsory for every therapy or supervision session. Um, and for example, if an IFS professional is working in more business-oriented environment, for example, leading with a meditation may even be off-putting to the client. Um, so as an IFS therapist or supervisor, I may or may not, depending on the relationship, the contract, etc., use a meditation. And knowing me, I'm likely not to offer this. Uh, for, for me, it can give too much of a message that parts aren't welcome. Um, I prefer to trust the practice of blending to unblend. Yeah, I think I, I would be the same, Emma, that I also I don't uh, don't offer meditations anymore, um, which is such a change from the past where, I, you know, I think parts of me felt like in order to be a good therapist, you had to meditate every day, you know, as, as you were perhaps trying to help your clients to do. Um, if just that blending to unblend, that phrase you used, could you maybe explain for the listener a bit more about that? Yeah, sure. 
Um, the idea of implicit direct access, which I know we'll talk about in another podcast more, um, is that generally when a client is talking, they're speaking from a part. And we talk with that part knowing it's a part. Um, and I favour the sort of supervisional therapy where the supervisor or client speaks from their parts, lets themselves blend with a part or each part in turn. I then get a sense of those parts that are blending and I'll acknowledge them, reflect back perhaps, a part of you this, a part of you that. Um, and in blending and being heard by me, it might be enough for these parts to soften back. Um, so blending to unblend. And if the part doesn't soften back, um, I might then inquire if there's a part who needs closer attention on the inside, either from the person or from me. Um, so does the part want to spend more time directly talking to me? So before we end this episode, I wonder if it might be useful, Emma, for us to say something about expectations regarding IFS therapy. Because while we do, of course, say that IFS is a complete model, um, there is possibly the need to downgrade a little the expectations regarding the time frame for change that we may have as therapists or practitioners alongside our clients. Um, so many people will have seen seamless demos where protectors are negotiated with and then they allow access to an exile who is then witnessed all the way to unburdening. And of course, sessions like this do happen. But seeing these kind of demonstrations can set up an expectation that, well, that's just what I have to do. Maybe a couple of unburdenings and then the problem will be fixed. Essentially, I think that that's maybe the figuring out parts of us. Either us, our figuring out parts, or our clients who think they've finally found a solution. And they want that solution to happen now. Yes, absolutely. Or it's the rescuer or caretaker parts hoping that finally they found the ultimate rescue remedy or the ultimate fix. Yeah. I think another example of how trainings can set up expectations can be around where training demos go straight into working with what's present for the person rather than gathering any sort of history, a sense of why the person is meeting with the facilitator, what their previous experiences of therapy or IFS have been, if any, and what their expectations are for that time. And this is because the expectation on trainings is that, I presume, is that demos are about demonstrating the IFS model to the group, within the group, and because it's not about therapy as such, then a clinical history or assessment process and inquiry about goals, hopes, fears, past experiences of therapy and so on is downgraded. Yeah, um, I mean, I, I don't think any training, no matter how good it is, can, can ever adequately capture the, the process of therapy. Um, also, you know, um, regarding expectations, I think some figuring out parts view IFS in a kind of mechanistic way. So, for example, I had a client inquiry recently 
from someone who said they had a therapist, they weren't planning to leave, they were just looking for six sessions of IFS to work on something particular that had come up. So where IFS is apparently seen by someone like this as some kind of quick fix, um, you just follow a particular set of steps and you're fixed. And the relational, that relational piece between therapist and client is often completely overlooked. Um, as well, the fact is that we are so complex. We all have lots of parts. So the IFS is still typically a long-term process of therapy. And I think that's definitely something IFS has highlighted to me, just how complex we are. I mean, I thought I had an understanding of this pre-IFS, but really I had no idea. However, it is true to say that IFS can affect particular changes and provide a lot of relief very quickly. Yeah. Um, can you give us a couple of examples of, of that, Gail? Uh, sure. Um, well, it would often happen at the beginning of a session that, for example, a client says they have a really bad headache and they're not sure they'll last the hour. Um, so we treat the headache as a part that's trying to communicate something or get attention, which is frequently the case. And by the end of the session, once the part has been heard, the headache is gone. Um, so it might be immediate change like that, and the change that flows from this in terms of how the person then relates to their body. Um, or it might be something like the client who feels duty-bound to visit their parents every weekend for dinner, something they actually hate doing because the parents don't get on, it's all very tense, but if they don't go, they feel so guilty. Despite the fact that the same parents were very neglectful or even abusive of the client as a child, so we talk to the protectors, that use beliefs picked up from the church or society to keep the client in the role of good daughter, something they'd started doing in the past in a bid to just maximise any possible care from the parents. We update them, explain how we can help the vulnerable parts that they protect, and then the next week the client comes in and says she didn't visit her parents last weekend, she went away with her husband instead. So things like this, I, I think in the past, without knowledge of parts, we would maybe have explored it with the client, probably done our best to open up options for them, but in the end we would just keep coming up against the protector who would insist, oh, it's just what I have to do. Yes, so we're saying there's lots of change that can take place, but in terms of someone who has a lot of trauma, or who has maybe endured daily anxiety, chronic self-doubt, or deep sadness for years, that's not something that just a few sessions of IFS is going to heal. Um, it's going to take potentially a few years to affect the deep healing required. Because in many of us, there will be lots of parts in pain or fear, yeah. alongside lots of strong or even extreme protectors. Mm -hmm. And some parts are more ready to be met than others. Some wounds remain hidden or protected, exiled, until other work has taken place inside. Even some changes in the outside world need to take place before deep or deeper inner work can begin. 
Maybe someone has to die first, or a relationship needs to end, for example, or greater external safety needs to be found or made. And, ending on a hopeful note, whatever work we do on the inside is worth doing. What happens can be like an incremental series of small shifts. More parts that meet self and are healed, that gradually creates greater harmony within and space for self, which of course means more confidence, more courage, more creativity, all the C's, and often someone ends up making sizable changes in their life as a result. Yeah, I would agree. So, in our next episode, we're going to be focusing on direct access because it really is a key skill to master if you want to be an accomplished IFS therapist. I'm looking forward to that, Gail. But in the meantime, we'd love anybody's feedback about today's episode, uh, which you can leave in the comments. And please let us know if there are particular topics you'd like us to focus on in this our purely IFS podcast. So until next time. Bye everyone.